while you're standing, if you take your Bible and turn to the book of Titus. We have completed our study in the book of 1 Timothy and now chronologically move to uh, Paul's encouragements to another young pastor on the Isle of Crete named Titus. We're going to go through the uh, first four verses today, so follow along as I read this before we pray and then enter into our study. Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ, for the sake of the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth, which accords with godliness in hope of eternal life, which God, who never lies, promised before the ages began, and at the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the commandment of God our Savior. To Titus, my true child in a common faith, grace and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Savior. Father, we thank you now for your word that we have been singing to you. We thank you that we have been able to read the scripture together. Now we gather around your word to hear your word explained and proclaimed. Lord, how we cry out to you for hearing hearts. We pray for our eyes to be open to the truth. I pray that for these few brief moments that we would be able to focus and and, and to concentrate on what you have to say to us and that we will apply this to our lives. Father, we know that this is not just a book writ- written for people who lived long, long ago. It is for us today. So therefore, I pray that you would help us as we not only read but heed the words from this book. We thank you and we praise you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want you to imagine that there are two people in a room. I say there's a man and he has green tinted glasses on. Okay, guys, just imagine you've got green tinted glasses. There is a woman. So women, you can imagine now that you have red tinted glasses on. Everything that that man and woman sees will be tinted by the color of the glasses they are wearing. And you wonder why men and women have so much of a challenge seeing things the same way. Everyone has a worldview. Your worldview is that pair of glasses through which you see things. It could also be looked at as a a, a framework or a grid, or for our ABF class today, a funnel or a lens through which you determine how you see life. And that's everything that exists. Everything that matters to you is seen through that worldview. Now, it, could, it shouldn't come as any surprise that we would say here something that culture does not say 
there are only two worldviews. You're going to hear all around you today, and, and students, this is particularly true of you, that there are multiple worldviews. There are multiple ways of seeing things. There's your truth, and then there's someone else's truth, but the Bible is not a rainbow. It's binary. There are only two ways of th seeing things, and that is, number one, God's way of approaching life and eternity, and man's way of approaching life and eternity. Not equally valid. One is true that leads to life, and the other is false and leads to destruction. That's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew 7. And the encouragement is, and, and, and these are words that you've heard before, but I ask you to hear them again, and particularly to some of you who are struggling with the way in which you are going right now. And you may think you're on the median, maybe in the middle, or you may think that you're going one of those other ways. You're either on the narrow road or the broad road. That's what Jesus said. Enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, that's the other one. And the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. That's the majority road. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life. And those who find it are few. And you see, there's something very, very important. A lot of people who are on that broad road, they're on it because they really believe that that's the way they need to go. It seems like the right way to them. Now, I, I just said that in the third person, but what I really want you to do today is to put that into the first person. You need to see that whatever road you are on is either the narrow road or the broad road. And the reason that some of you are on that broad road is because it looks so right. That's what your friends are telling you. That's what, again, culture, the headlines, that's what it's, they're telling you is that is the right way to go. But remember, this is a binary concept. When we go back into the Proverbs, the book of wisdom, and it says there really is a way, a road that seems right to a man, but just like Jesus said about the two roads, its, it's end is the way of death. And we need to see that today for ourselves. Now, if you are a millennial, and I'm, I, I'm saying if you are in that age group of being around 40-ish, I've mentioned this guy before. Maybe he's in syndication, I don't know. But back in the day when our kids were young, we listened to a program, we watched a program, not that old that I had to listen only to radio, but we watched a TV show with our kids called Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Mr. Rogers had a week-long segment. I think I've shared this before, but it, it was very important. We knew it was coming. It was advertised. 
And uh, our son, Jason, who's 45, he, he was young then. He was just a, a little guy. But Mr. Rogers, get this. He did this segment, a week-long segment, on superheroes and on pretending. One of the reasons he did that, and he stated this, he told the story of a little boy who was pretending he was Superman. Our son Jason used to do that, take one of my shirts, wrap it around, and, and run around the house like this. Now, fortunately, he didn't do what the little boy did. Mr. Rogers told this story that he was pretending, and he jumped out of a second-story window, and he hurt himself badly. And here's what he said. Now, listen to this. This is related to the way that seems right to a man, but its way is the, is the end. It's going to be destruction. He said, pretending can be a problem when a child, let's put in there an adult, believes what he is pretending. Now, come on, we're adults. And you don't really believe that you're Superman or Superwoman or whatever other superhero, and you don't jump out of a window. But you might struggle, listen, with discernment in making a decision because you're hoping and you're pretending that there is a way that you can go that bypasses the way of God. So you may be old enough to know not to jump out of a window, but in terms of a job or a relationship or a lifestyle, you need to understand that there is God's way and there is man's way. Could I just stop and ask you a question? Students, could I ask you this? Which road are you on? That's not a guilt thing, adults. Which road are you on? I'm talking to the young adult. I'm talking to older adults. You're either on God's road or you're on man's road. Now, what does that have to do with Titus? Paul is shepherding this young pastor as he pastors a group of churches. Now, we know that, that, that Timothy was at the church. He was the pastor at the church in Ephesus, but now Paul is writing, and it's shortly after he finishes 1 Timothy and before he goes into 2 Timothy, so he's writing to another young man that he calls his child, so an intimate relationship with him, and he's writing him as a young pastor that is helping a group of churches on the island of Crete. But he's also writing to you and to me today to have a worldview about living life's, life God's way and by the way of God's Word. And that's what this introduction in these first four verses is all about. Now, you have the outline in front of you, and so we're going to start with number one. We're going to go through this, and we're going to go verse by verse, at least to the best of my ability, and we're going to pull out some of the truths that you need to know from this. So, verse one, Paul I've underlined a couple of words in, in the, the Bible that I think are important. We might mention these almost in passing, but we'll park on several as we go through this. Paul, a servant, that word is bondservant, and an apostle. He puts both words in there, a bondservant of God 
an apostle of Jesus Christ for the sake of the faith. Boy, he is zeroing in. What is his primary purpose in his ministry? You might think it's that of just establishing churches, but right here he is zeroing in, making a beeline for the sake of the faith of God's elect and for their knowledge of the truth, I underlined obviously you could probably tell, truth which accords with godliness. That's how we ended 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, that truth always results in godliness, or at least it should. So, let's look at that. Paul has finished writing with 1 Timothy. He's now in Titus. I don't know. I wrote down in my, in my notes, and then I thought, well, I really don't know this for sure, that the churches in Crete were a mess, okay? But they were, we know, facing challenging times. They were, like the church at Ephesus, they were facing false teachers and deception. In fact, later on, Paul is going to say this. We'll get to this next week, the Lord willing. This is why I left you in Crete. Here it is, Titus. So that you might put what remained in order. There's stuff that still needs to happen in these churches. You need to get the things in order. And how do you affect that order? What is the best way to make sure it happens? To appoint elders in every town. Now, remember that there was only a church per town, not like we have it today, multiple churches in one town. But there was one church in each town. So here's how he's going to do it. He says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to set in order the things that remain in the churches. And one of the primary ways you're going to do this is, guess what? Get godly men who will lead in the church. That's what I'm directing you to do. Now, I emphasized a couple of words a minute ago. Paul is speaking with humility. He says, I'm a bondservant and with authority. He says, I'm an apostle. And then he makes these stunning words, at least they were for me, all that God does and what he says, all that Paul does, rather, and what he says is for the sake of the elect. Let me emphasize this again. Paul ministered first to the elect. Now, you know what's really amazing about this? Probably today, a preacher who was doing this and writing this would stop and he would go into a long explanation, a detailed explanation about the nuances of election and predestination with all of the discussion about those. But he doesn't. It's pretty interesting to me that he doesn't try to explain what is obvious. He doesn't try to apologize for God's sovereignty and salvation and in his own purposes to save. I'm talking about God's purposes to save. And I came to this conclusion, neither should I. Okay? So what he is saying is, first of all, to God's Elect. And you know what that ought to lead us to do? Rather than debate, 
about something that is so obvious, it ought to lead us to fall on our faces and to worship God who is a sovereign God who in the, the mystery of his purpose has chosen to save a people for his own glory. That's what, he, that's what he said to the Thessalonians. He said, we ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers beloved by God, because God chose you. And then there's a little phrase in there. As the first fruits, he chose you to be saved through sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. He also said it in the book of Ephesians. He chose us in him, that is in Christ, before the foundation of the world. We talked today in our ABF class, and you'll probably hear this next week. If you, I hope you do attend ABF. Adults, students, Sunday school, children, Sunday school, ABF, we've got a fancy name for it. I don't know if, if, if it was started to, to fool the adults. We're not asking you to come to Sunday school. We're asking you to come to ABF. That's Adult Bible Fellowship. But this morning we talked about it. God is probably more sovereign in salvation than you and I believe he is. And some of us in this room have a very high view of the sovereignty of God in salvation. But let's look at the other side. We are probably more responsible than we think we are in the whole process. So these are precious truths, as I said a moment ago, that ought to give not only us th this sense of worship. And those of you who started studying the doctrines of grace like I did when I was an adult, I can tell you it, it did put me on my face before a holy God. Why me, Lord? I wasn't worried about the, why not everyone? I, I was just thinking, why me? Because I knew what I deserved. But, but here, is why, here is why I think Paul is writing this. He's getting ready to talk about eternal life. And if I were going to ask you to write outside your, the, the first line, that, the first part of the notes, any word that, that it ought to give to us, this whole process of being God's elect, it would be the word security. I think God wants you, Christian, to have an incredible sense of the security of your salvation. If you are saved, it is God's purpose of election from the foundation of the world, now please listen carefully, that stands behind it. Nobody is saved by being elect. We're saved by grace through faith in Christ and all of that alone. But the building of our faith, please get this, the building of our faith and increasing our knowledge, not just head knowledge, but the hot-hearted belief in and love for God can only come from the truth of our salvation which comes from the Word and the clear teaching of something like what Paul is saying right here to us. It's something that we looked at last week. He says, he connects it 
like we said a few moments ago, with this unshakable purpose of election to salvation that issues into godliness. That's the first part, okay? Let's look at the second part of it, verses 2 and 3. The promised hope of eternal life is anchored in the Word of God who cannot lie. By the way, this was my favorite part of study the last couple of weeks as I studied this. I had never seen it to, to this level or whatever that one of the truths about God, and, and it, by the way, if you put uh, security by the first one, put certainty by the second one. There is a certainty here that Paul is speaking to. In hope of eternal life, which God who never lies promised before the ages began, and the proper time manifested in his word through the preaching with which I have been entrusted by the command of God our Savior. Let's continue the thought. Eternal life is for the elect. God preserves the elect and the elect persevere in their growth in godliness. Now, please understand, while those two are connected, we've always got to get the first thing first. Christianity is a religion of done, not a religion of do. We do, but the do is always based on the done, what he in Christ has done for us. And folks, that's certainty. You need to remember something. This goes with the two roads. Everyone lives forever. Okay? You got that? I, I, see some, I, I see a lot of students taking notes. That's good. Some kids, they're either taking notes or they're coloring That's worth writing down. Everyone lives forever. And you're going to live forever either in a place where you have eternal life, the narrow road, or the broad road, which leads to destruction. Here's a verse that goes along with that. John 3, 36 Jesus said these words, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides on him. Now, I said this part was one of the most interesting parts of the study that I did over the last couple of weeks for this message. And so I'm going to start with a question. Kids, are you listening? This question really is for you, but adults, you can listen, you can answer it, okay? So here's the question. Is there anything God can't do? Good job, kids. Kinda. We all, we all have been taught that there, there's nothing that God can't do. But that's kind of a trick question. 
Is there anything that is impossible for God to do? Don't answer that. Don't you, I don't want you to be tricked again because this promise, look at this. The promise of the hope of eternal life is based on a name of God that has to do with something that God can't do, something that it is impossible for God to do. This is a promise that comes from the God who never lies. You know, in my prayer sheet, I, I, my prayer guide, I have a list of the names of God. I, in fact, I went to the Old Testament and I couldn't find like Jehovah Makedesh and Jehovah Sidkenu and Shalom and Jehovah Rapha and all the rest of those. I couldn't find the name, the God who never lies. I thought, man, that that has to be an important name. Now, you understand that, that names in the Bible and in some cultures mean something. And I started thinking about this, that I'm going to be using that name, Jehovah, who can't lie. At least in my prayer time, a lot more. I was thinking of other cultures that use names like that, and I started thinking of a wouldn't it be cool to have a name like Dances with Wolves or Stands with a Fist? You know what movie that I'm referring to? Or Wind in His Hair? Pretty cool name. But the coolest name that you could wrap your heart around today is the God who can't lie. Where does your hope, listen to me, where does your hope for life and eternity come from? Well, the promises of God. But I'm going to tell you this, that the promises of God are only as good as the reality of the fact that God never does lie. He always tells the truth. Here's another one out of Numbers. God is not a man. I think this is an important concept. God is not a man that he should lie, or a son of man that he should change his mind. He has said, will he not do it? For he has spoken, and will he not fulfill it? So your hope and my hope of the promise of God is in the fact that he cannot lie. And this hope is not just wishful thinking, like some of you were doing yesterday watching your football team, oh, I hope, whatever, that they can kick the field goal, of course. Some of you, now, some of you confused Oklahoma playing Arkansas. That was Arkansas State, okay? <laughs> Wasn't the Razorbacks. So, not a lot of hoping went on there, but this is not that kind of hope. Boy, I sure hope that check comes. I sure hope we have a good meal today for lunch. All the rest of that, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about in terms of this hope is the rock-solid certainty that is anchored in the promises made in the Old Testament and now made manifest through the preaching of God's Word.
And I'm going to tell you this. Some of you here today desperately need to know God as the God who never lies. Did you hear what I said? Because some of you have been wavering. You know, there are people that, that call all the time. They leave messages. Usually, I've got that app on my phone, and it spins the number over, and, and they'll, they'll leave a message sometimes. Most of the time, they hang up. But, Mr. Brown, we want to tell you that you are delinquent in your payment. You need to call us, or your whatever will be suspended in your account, and we'll come and get you, and all of the rest of that. You don't put your hope in that kind of thing or in other kinds of scams that promise you money. Listen, some of you are putting your hope in what your friends say and do. Or maybe a TV preacher or maybe a family member or maybe a leader from another religion or maybe, my goodness, I hope not, You're putting your hope in what the government says. And I'm not talking about any political persuasion there. You see, right here he is saying we put our hope in. We desperately need to have a hope of eternal life that comes from the promise of the God who never lies to us. Let all men be liars. All false God are liars. All gods other than God himself. That leads me to the third thing. Let's go back to this. Now, did you get the, the words outside of that? Certainty for that one, security for the first one. Now, for this third part and, and the point here, gospel, grace, and peace are anchored in our common faith in God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior. I would put the word continuity, continuity out beside that because we share, we share in this faith that through the preaching of the word has been handed down to us. Listen to this beautiful statement to Titus. Here's the intimate knowledge of him, my true child in a common faith. We're going to come back to that. Grace and peace from God the Father in Christ Jesus, our Savior. Jude 3 says this, Beloved, we're going to look at this common faith that he's talking about because it's not what you think it might be by the word common. Jude 3 says, Beloved, though I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, that's equated, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So when Paul is talking about a common faith, he doesn't mean an ordinary faith. You got it? He doesn't mean a nondescript or a ho-hum or a nothing special kind of faith. The faith that God gives that leads to salvation is anything but that kind of common. It's extraordinary. The word here for common, some of you will recognize this, is just the the Greek word that we use all the time, koinonia. 
And, and most of you know what that word means, koinonia. It means, a, it means a fellowship, a deep fellowship. Now, we talk around here and in Baptist churches, other kind of churches, about having church fellowships, okay? And fellowships are good. That's where you can get together and, and you kind of get to know each other on the surface and that kind of thing. But this is different. This is talking about a deep, shared fellowship, a sharing of life among the saints, a sharing of a common purpose, even to the point of death. We, we share a common faith. The fellowship of the rings. Wonderful book in the series by Tolkien. Did that just mean getting together and having a potluck? Who were the members of the Fellowship of the Rings? Oh, I knew I would get some attention here. Who were they? Come on. You remember? Okay. I wrote them down just so I would know. Frodo? Sam? Pippin? Mary? Gandalf? Aragorn? Forgive me if I mispronounce something. Legolas, Gimli, who else? Boromir, that's right, he was, even though he betrayed the fellowship and then he repented later. Interest, interesting story. But, but here, is, here is, that's a picture. When you think fellowship, you think of something that draws us together. A common, a powerful purpose. We share the same faith. We share the same mission. We share the same hope. This is a shared experience. I know that in the, the church gathered, we have sheep and we have goats. Whoops, I did that the wrong way. We have sheep and we have goats. Right hand, left hand. And when the organized church meets together, we're, we're, all, we're always going to have that. But among us is the fellowship, every true child of God. And that's what, that's what Paul was referring to, my true child in the common fellowship, the shared faith. We share it. We hold it. We pass it on. And the proclamation of the gospel much, must be reproduced in every age. But we need something to make that happen. We need something supernatural. And Paul tells us what that is. He says grace and peace. The two supernatural elements. What, what does grace mean? Grace is that undeserved favor from God that enables you and me. We're talking about ch children of God. We've been given that grace. It is, it's, it's a gift from God. We can't boast about this. It is a gift of God. It has appeared bringing salvation, the grace of God, bringing salvation to all men. It is something that is given. Undeserved favor to those who deserve exactly the opposite. And how many of you, true children of God, among the sheep realize that that's what we have 
because of what God has done for us in Jesus Christ. And not only that, do we have that. Paul says that's how you're built up. Now, I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. And it's that kind of grace. And out of that flows that supernatural peace, which flows from grace. Peace is, first of all, the the cessation of hostility between us and God. That there was that enmity that existed until God gave us that, that, that grace and faith to believe. And so the hostility was removed. We've been justified by faith. Now, look at this, and, and if you had your Bibles open to that, I would have you underline, we have peace with God. And that's the only way that we can have the peace of God. And if you had your Bible open to that, I would say underline this. That God gives his peace which will carry us through anything that we have to go through. And these are given to those who are the true children of God. God the Father through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Through the God who never lies. lies. Through the God who saves. And this is the truth. The world is going to tell you that you have a lot of other saviors. Many different kinds of things, whether a religion or a teacher or a leader or a life coach or an example. And and Jesus is certainly some of those, but at the bottom of it, he is the one who saves us from our sin. And you realize that the gospel, all, the, the gospel when it comes is always there is a measure of confrontation with it. Here we talked about the sheep and the goats a few minutes ago. When the Son of Man comes in all of his glory. I had a good visit with a good friend of mine and we were talking about eschatological views this last week. And it doesn't matter whether you are Pre-mill, ah-mill, post-mill, pre-trib, mid-trib, post-trib, or pan-millennial. You just believe it's all going to pan out. But according to what we believe that grows out of the Apostles' Creed, Jesus is coming again. And there will be a great separation. This thing that I began with about the roads... We're going to see the ultimate picture of it at that point because when he comes, he's going to separate people as a shepherd would separate the sheep. And he's going to say to the sheep, go to my right into eternal life. The goats on his left, eternal punishment. I would hope and pray I haven't told an emotional story or anything to get you to this point. But I would hope just the sheer truth of what we have talked about of the two destinations, the two roads, and talking about that time when Jesus will separate 
the goats from the sheep would make you think, hmm, which am I? Am I a goat? Or am I a sheep? Maybe you're saying, well, pastor, help, help us out there. How do, how do we know? Well, Jesus made it clear. My sheep hear my voice. Are you hearing the voice of God? Are, do you hear him as he speaks to you through his word? And I know them, and they, present tense, are following me. Not perfectly. They're following me. I give to them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one's going to pluck you out of the Father's hand. This morning as I was wrapping up my study, my phone dinged, which indicated I had a voicemail or, or some kind of message. So I popped it open. Now, I'm not on Facebook, and that's why you don't see me post. I know a lot of you are. I'm not necessarily against it. I just see a lot of stuff. Because Jan is on Facebook, she rarely posts, but I also read her Facebook. I'm not checking on her. I just read it for, I'm checking on you. Not really. I, I just see stuff that, boy, there's a worthwhile post. Sometimes I'll copy and paste and save it and use it in a sermon. How about that? But there's a lot of stuff that people post <clears throat> That is just, I don't even know what to call it. It's just drivel. And it, it, it just, wow, I can, I can sure scroll past that. But she also is on Instagram. And so there was an Instagram post that came up. And I thought, oh, wow, this is great. This guy was named Dave Johnson. And he had pictures to go along with it. Okay, are you ready? He said he was the winner of the Powerball, and he won $293.8 million, and he was going to give away, are you ready for this, $30,000 for the first 2,000 followers. I thought, number one, man, that guy is hard up for followers. Number two, I thought, I wonder if this is true. You know, there are a lot of people that wouldn't even question. They just go on to it, and they would get to the part where it says, okay, in order to give you your $30,000, I need your bank account number and your routing number. Because I looked it up, and that's what a lot of these scammers will do a lot. And, and you see, there are people, do you know why they do scams like that? Why? Because there are people who are gullible, and they're going to fall for it. But this is not about scammers trying to get you out, bilk you out of your money. This is about God's way versus man's way. 
Satan is a master scammer who has a lot of deceiving teachers who will tell you this is the way. When God who never lies has told you this is the way, walk in it. And I pray that today you would do that. For those of us who know the Lord Jesus, that we would continue to practice discernment by this book and by the Holy Spirit who lives in us. And those of you who may not be savingly joined to Christ today would see that you are confronted about your sin and rebellion. And there's hope because Jesus died on Calvary's cross for sinners like us. By turning away from sin, repenting, and by believing in Jesus and the finished work on the cross, you can become, like Paul said to Titus, my true child in that shared faith that I will give to you. And I pray that you will do that today, that you will walk in God's way and not man's way. Father, I thank you for your word, and uh, thank you that we have an opportunity to discuss it. Thank you for, even through weak and trembling lips, you, you get out the, the word. It's been amazing for the last 2,000 years, and even before that, how you've done that with preachers of the gospel. And Lord, I pray that today something from your word might have made its way by the power of your Holy Spirit into the hearts, not only of your people, your elect, to encourage them. You're the God who can't lie. And then, Lord, to those who don't know you, that today would be the day of salvation when they do come to know you. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to understand these things. Thank you, Lord, now that we can internalize those and I pray that you would help us to respond rightly. I pray this in Jesus' name.